It is a gloomy day in Nashville today, February 22nd. We have Sam Curtis on the show today. Sam, welcome. Thank you so much. Nice to be back. It's, gr it's great to have you back on. And I think this weather is really a microcosm of the whole basketball season, specifically for the men's team. Jerry Stackhouse's time on West End seems like it's waning and waning and waning. Just five games left for the team. And the Commodores lost by only 12 points to the Georgia Bulldogs last night, but they really had no chance. They had no lead during the game, and then they lose to 30, 35 points to the Tennessee Volunteers last Saturday. Sam, Henry, what what are you doing if you're Candace Lee at this point? It's tough to say, um, you know, what happens behind closed doors. Obviously, if uh, Stackhouse comes into my office and lays out this elaborate plan about how he's planning to fix this basketball program and the recruits he has lined up and like the transfers that he's going to get and all this stuff, then, you know, you don't know for sure, but I have trouble believing that that's true. And like, you know, we're watching the same product on the court and we're seeing the same results as she is. And it's just like hard to believe that I know the contract situation is what it is. He signed through, I believe like for another two or three years. But like, if you're truly committed to make this program like competitive in the SEC, you have to be willing to buy him out and you have to be willing to move on from him and get a new coach. I don't know who that is yet, but it's hard It's hard for me to see, even though I've been on record of saying like, I think they're not gonna pull the trigger. I, With how the rest of the season's gone, I don't know how you can't fire him and still say that you're committed to a, a legitimate SEC basketball program. Yeah, I totally agree. I think Stack has got to go now. After the 35-point loss to Tennessee, and then losing to Georgia last night, who was not a good opponent at all. They were low end of the SEC. Um, I just don't see a future for Stackhouse here. I know we've had two wins in the SEC against, you know, a good win against Texas A&M last week on a buzzer beater from Ezra Magnone, but it doesn't seem like Stackhouse is building anything, and I think it's time for, for Candace Storley to pull the trigger and, and let him go and find a replacement. I agree. I mean, you look at the class of 2024, the only recruit that remains is Tyron Lawrence, and that's because of NIL, we can assume. And then also, like like you like you both were saying, it just seems like it's going to happen eventually. I think you don't fire a coach midseason because it's still the same assistance, and there's four or five games left. Nothing is going to really change. But you need, to, you need to build something for the future. I think every game, people are like scrolling Twitter, when's it going to happen, when's it going to happen? It's just waiting at this point. And maybe the Commodores don't make a NIT or NCAA next year. And with a new coach, it's it's kind of like football, right, Sam? Like, it's another three years. But I think the Commodores need to make that switch now. Yeah, I mean, just like Stackhouse hasn't ever really been the warm coach that, like, everyone loves. And if you're going to do that, which is fine, then you better hang your hat on results. And he has not done that. And, I, yeah, I mean, like Henry said, there's a couple good – results this year but i would classify that as a blind squirrel blind blind squirrel finds a nut every so often like you're just gonna get a win because like the pistons will get a win every once in a while um i don't think that um classifies any reason for them to keep them like i'm not even talking about the sec 
I mean, let's look at the non-conference slate. Is the results there are just as ridiculous, if not more so, and just as much reason to fire him, especially after he had time to, you know, specifically make an easier non-conference schedule. Yeah, I, the team building has been horrendous, and then you come out and you kind of blame the guys and the team that you have. And yes, there's reasons for injuries throughout the years of what's been problematic, but you can only have so many years of excuses. Yeah, and I completely agree. And and I think. This team's biggest flaw is the roster construction, in, in my opinion. I think I Stackhouse, do. he wasn't able to construct a roster. We have no big men. And I know we lost Lee Dort, obviously, to the to the sexual assault charges. Outside of that, though, I don't even think if he was on the team, this team would be that much better. I think he was an inexperienced center in the SEC. Obviously, you have Van Allen Lubin now, who's manning the paint. And, and he's been good, but he's, just, he's not going to be able to compete with the seven-foot centers in the SEC. And um, as you said, Wilf, if Candace Storley does decide to get a new coach, it is not going to be an immediate turnaround. I think there's going to be a couple years, like how when Stackhouse inherited Bryce Drew's program, it wasn't perfect for the first two or three years. And, and, and now that we're in year five of Stackhouse's tenure, he's got to go. It's his team at this point. It's on him. And people, you know, Commodore fans always say, oh, if you're a recruit, you're not going to get the best guys because they'd rather go to other SEC teams. You had Quinn Malore Brown and Malik Dia, who's averaging over 15 points a game at Belmont. They could have stayed at the Commodores, but but he asked them to leave. And Tassos Cometeros, I think, has been an underwhelming backup center. He's really Terrible. just a shooter that really can't shoot that well. I, I don't think he gets a lot of rebounds. Commodores, 36 to 29 out rebounded last night, and that's kind of where you're seeing that a lot. I know they're undersized, but it's on Stackhouse for having that roster on the court. Yeah. Also, the starting lineup is really shocking. They had Isaiah Weston. Isaiah West, Evan Taylor, the two guards, and Van Allen Lubin. I think Evan Taylor, a power forward, is not a way to play SEC basketball. Yeah, and I think if you if you want to play small ball, that's fine. I don't think that's a solution for the whole game, but at least you got to have shooters on the court. Yes. And if, you, if you're trying to play small ball and you don't have shooters, then you're just going to score no points, and I think that's what the, the most frustrating thing is, is you, know, you expect these guys like Tyron Lawrence, Evan Taylor to be your big scorers on this Vanderbilt team, and they just haven't been. I'd say, I mean, two points. First of all, I, I, we can talk about the rebounds, and the rebounds are ridiculous. They should have got more. But I think the reason also, if you look at just the offensive versus defensive rebounds, the reason we got out-rebounded is because we missed so many shots. That is true. Like yeah. At the end of the day, the offensive rebounds weren't egregious. We weren't like getting out-rebounded on the offensive glass. It's just like they had so many defensive rebounds because we missed so many shots. You know, what was our shooting percentage? 30-something percent? I think um, it was 36, and they, they were above... 50 from the clip, I think. God. Yeah, we, we shot 36.2, and they were 52.8 after um, all was said and done. But either way, um, I mean, stacks, starting lineups, you know, you hear grumblings around, like, the programming from players that, like, you just never know where your minutes are going to go and if you're going to start and how long you're going to start. And there's no continuity. And I totally get, and I'm at times I've been behind stack, like, saying, all right, we need, like, an injection of like, f- you know, freshmen or someone who's going to put out the effort and doesn't feel like they're like a entrenched veteran um, and have all that. But, you know, every game or every other game, whatever it is, seems like it's a different rotation. And these guys just can't get familiar. There's something to be said about having some kind of familiarity with the guys around you. And I ultimately think the nail in the coffin for him is just Vanderbilt hiring Shay Ralph because she is a coach who has made no excuses even when her program had eight players 
you know, like had injuries out the wazoo. Her best players got injured, and yet she was still like the team needs to be better. There's not, you know, there's there's no excuses in the book, and you're seeing the results on the court and in the recruiting um, realm as well. So with Mc- Michaela Blake's top ten player, exactly. So. Yeah, I think that kind of spelled out the end for Stackhouse as well as that you saw a coach get hired after him and have way more success than him very quickly. And I think you posed the question at this point in the season is, is like, has this team given up on Stackhouse almost? Watching the game last night, it sort of felt like that. There was no life on the bench. There was no life on the court. Stackhouse was just sitting on his little stool that he puts out um, on the sideline. And, and it just felt like there was no team energy last night against Georgia. And, and I think... Maybe that's that's a sign, you know, Stackhouse no longer has the respect of his players. You know, it, it's hard to speculate because we're not in the locker rooms, but let's talk about what Stackhouse says after the game. He said, you know, it's hard not to notice when his name was announced, when the team was being called on, people were booing. There were anti-stack chants. There were fire stack chants really throughout the entire game. And he said at the end of the game, there were 12 disciples and Judas was only one. And Judas was like the the big naysayer, and he was the one that really challenged Jesus. I could be getting this story wrong. And he, and he used this story as a way to explain his situation. There are a lot of people that are against him, but there are people in his court. And, you know, him just saying that just shows he knows his time is gone, and he'll be okay. And he's saying, God has a plan for me. I'm going to be okay. I'm just kind of going through this hard time. And he talked about the players. You know, he I think he feels bad for these players. I mean, for me, I, I feel terrible for a guy like Ezra Manion. He puts his heart on the court every single game. Such a good player. Yeah. And, you know, that Texas A&M game, they're, they're playing for the veterans. They're not playing for a Jerry Stackhouse. And Tennessee, you're, you're down 35-3, to three, I believe, with six minutes left in the first half. Or 35-8. to eight. At that point, it's like, you're right. I, I do think he has lo- lost the locker room. But but the, the biggest thing is that this team was never really that great. But at least they could fight through it. You're starting to see them give up mid-game like yeah. last night. There's a difference between a coach who can make a, uh, I'll call us a less notable program or less, you know, NIL-rich program great by making up for it and coaching and getting the right players and inspiring players and stuff like that. And I just think it's ultimately not a good fit with Stack. It just hasn't worked out the way he's handled, like, a media that's, you know, a pretty small group of people and not necessarily making, like, um making best friends with everyone and you just he's not quite the right fit and so we learned that and I think we can move on and I mean you said he said you know he's going to weather the storm and that's great and I don't you know he's an all all NBA player and he'll be just fine in life and in his coaching career and I do feel for these players but at the end of the day as it concerns with Vanderbilt basketball it's time to you know clean house move on and uh, start again with a new vision with new facilities. I agree completely. I think the Vandy United campaign is going to help out if, you know, Sackhouse is fired, which I think he will be. Whatever coach in, inherits this program is going to have great facilities to fall back on. And, and I think it's, you know, we've written about it in our memorial minutes for the last couple weeks. It's time to rip the Band-Aid off. It's time to turn the page. It's time to let Stackhouse go. As sad as it is for these players, it's time. The Commodores just have two more home games. It's against LSU and Florida, but only one more game before spring break. So the students really will need to show out. Maybe their last time ever seeing Jerry Stackhouse as head coach for the Commodores. The Commodores go to Gainesville on Saturday to play a ranked Florida team that's really, really disciplined. Um, really cool story. Florida, old Florida coach Mike White is the Georgia coach now. So hopefully the Commodores have more success against the current Florida coach. 
Let's talk about the women's basketball team. They're currently the last four out in, uh, or, or the last team in the first four in, I think it was, on the bracketology. Yeah. And, you know, you look at their schedule, only three games left, and you just have to think, and only one more home game, I believe. You need to win out to make the March Madness. I know it depends on how you do an SEC tournament, but if you win out, you're pretty solidified as a March Madness team. Yeah, you definitely feel good. I mean, getting a revenge game against Missouri for the close loss they had earlier in the year would go a long way. You look back at their schedule, and there's just not that many, like, bad losses. Like, other than the Missouri game, um, you know, they lost to NC State earlier in the year. That's number six in the country. Not a problem. Tennessee twice. South Carolina. Ole Miss is a tough loss. But Alabama's a tough loss. That South Carolina but game, they were competing until the third were. quarter. They were. And then, and then South Carolina took the lead. But, I, I mean, the SEC is great, and it's great for women's basketball. Um, and, you know, obviously you'd like to see this program become upper echelon of it. But right now they're they're mid to upper. And so they've they've lost the games that we expected them to. And they've won basically all the games that we expected them to. So now – you know, it's time to time to show out, time to buck up, and I think this locker room will be ready. Uh, you just have to bounce back from Tennessee, and I think if you get on a roll, and yeah, uh, it would be nice to win a couple more in the SEC tournament, but however that shakes out, it's in your hands, and I think that's the like most exciting part of it. Yeah, and I think these next three games are going to be really critical for the, for the Commodores going into postseason play. Um, if they're able, none of these teams that they have left, Arkansas, Missouri, and Georgia, are that great of SEC teams. They're definitely near the, the bottom, the middle of the SEC. And so if you're able to eke out three wins, I feel pretty confident that whatever the Commodores do in the SEC tournament, that they will have a good shot of making it to March Madness. Um, if they're able to win two and lose one, I think they probably have to put on a pretty good performance in the SEC tournament to, to make it into the postseason. Absolutely, and there's not enough like stats on the NET and all that for women's basketball. If it was men's basketball, we would know all the scenarios just because of the market is, because of what the market is. Vanderbilt, though, even if they make the NCAA tournament, I can guarantee they're not going to go very far because Sasha Washington and Camille Pierre are their only big, big players. And Camille Pierre, I think she was 0 for 11 against, 0 of 11 against Tennessee, and then she wins up, wins SEC Freshman of the Week, which makes no sense to me. Yeah, um, she had a good game before that. To be fair, yeah, that's but. true. That's that's true. So so I I think this is no matter what a really good building block for the program, unlike the men's team. You know you have a coach that's building something, a good culture, and once they get bigger players on the roster next year, I think they can go on a deeper run. But, you know, it would be great for the students if you get an NCAA tournament game because I believe the first, if you're like a first four in game, like that game would be played at Vandy, I'm pretty sure. Which okay, could be that would really be cool. really exciting. Yeah, I think I have so much hope for this team. It's completely different from the men's. I think this team, yes, they're undersized in the paint. Sasha Washington is, is an undersized forward in the SEC. Well, what we've seen from Jordan Cambridge, Ayanna Moore, uh, Camille Pierre this season have been so impressive. And I think if they're able to eke out a few more wins in this season, um, you know, they'll make it to the NCAA tournament. Well, I don't know how they'll do against other conferences in the NCAA tournament. Um, they should they should hang their hat on the fact that they made it there and, and if it does happen. I think it's such a big statement to be, you know, the first Vanderbilt team. I don't actually know when the last Vanderbilt team made it to the NCAA tournament, but it was probably like, I think it was 2016. Yeah, a while ago. It was, I mean, it's been a long time. So I think being able to hang your hat on even just saying we made it there is a huge boon to, to Shea Ralph's, yeah. um, to, to getting I mean, attendance, the women's games and stuff like that for the student body. Um, but at the end of the day, I think no matter what happens, I will, 
I think everyone would consider this an extremely successful season for them. And the most exciting thing is looking at their roster, who they're returning. Yes, Jordan Cambridge will be gone, and that's very sad. And Jordan Oliver probably will be too. They're both graduate students. So one thing about Jordan is I've heard from people within the program that she's going to look to come back and help out in some sort, maybe as like an administrative coaching role. So she'll still be in the program. Yeah, Yeah, I I just said Jordan Oliver and Jordan Cambridge. Cambridge, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and that's awesome. Just, I mean, as it concerns on the court, like those are kind of the two – two starters that you're going to be missing, but there's so much like youth and growth to be done. And obviously we talked about the recruiting. You're going to have a really strong team um, growing together. And that's like the, the most exciting thing to me is that you're building something that, you know, is taking time and is just getting better every year. Yeah. And I've, I've been so impressed with the freshmen this year on this Vanderbilt women's basketball team. I think Aga Makarat is early strong contributor while she hasn't played maybe as much as I thought she would this in SEC play she's great from the wing she's a good shooter Camille Pierre has been great in the paint for that for that kind of four or five spot on the team and and it just really provides you with hope going forward that that this Vanderbilt women's basketball team is growing like Sam said you said it right and and what I think is pretty much a guarantee the Commodores unless they go 0-3 and and lose all their SEC tournament games I think they're almost likely going to be in the NIT at least. Yeah. That's something to be proud of. Postseason shot to win something. And just stay tuned because we really like covering this team. Let's go to the baseball team. Tim Corbin and co. 3-2. and two. They lose to FAU on Saturday but win the series. And then they lose to Dayton on Tuesday night. Before we go to Dayton, let's talk about what you saw in their loss on Saturday, Henry. We'll talk about that. And then we'll talk about the Dayton game, and Sam will talk about what he saw in Vanderbilt's recovery against Eastern Kentucky. Yeah, I was covering the game on Saturday, the one game they lost to FAU. It was Bryce Cunningham on the mound to start, and we honestly just saw some inconsistent hitting and pitching, honestly. On Saturday, the, the Commodores had three hits as a team against a pretty weak, or I shouldn't say weak, but but not as strong as SEC opponents, you know, pitching staff from FAU. And, and so that was a little bit disappointing to see. It was a cold day. The ball wasn't going to go as far, but it just showed signs that this offense needs to get going if they want to win games um, in the SEC. And then from the pitching standpoint, they lost 5-4. Bryce Cunningham had an okay day. Um, We saw McIlvain on the bump. I think Sawyer Hawks as well. Um, But this pitching staff has really yet to kind of been figured out, honestly. I think Tim Corbin's playing around with a lot of different starters and, and relievers and and trying to get a feel for for what this pitching staff will look like in a couple weeks yeah I mean I so I then went to the uh, EKU game Eastern Kentucky game um, it started out very well uh, Vanderbilt's bats were moving in the first inning they scored three off of a couple hits and a walk and EKU had to switch out their starter after just you know I think two outs um, so it was an impressive start but then for the rest of the game um, they you know had had pretty sparse hitting and one of their runs came from an uh, a freshman Kojil went to hit pinch hit he got on base because of an error great hustle and then um, Humphrey came in as a pinch runner stole second and third and yeah, then got home that. with a with a single from Espinal so, I mean, you know, that score was off of one single, which is great. Sometimes you need those gritty things, but that just goes back to the fact that offense is definitely lackluster. And they're not not scoring, but and you're and you're always going to get your like the best punch from these midweek games. I always think about 
if I was on one of the teams coming in to Vanderbilt and facing um, the Vandy boys at Hawkins Field, like I'm giving it my best. I'm like, my ears are perking yeah. up and it's a one game thing. You're going to get yeah. someone's best punch. So that's what it's going to be. But also like you are, you know, the number six overall team in the nation for a reason and you have to get the bats going. And I do think there's a lot of stuff, as you said, to be figured out with this pitching staff. Um, I thought Dukanich looked great. He pitched four scoreless innings, just one hit let up a cu- couple walks. But um, he looked great. Levi Huseman came in, pitched one good inning, and then had a, had a pretty crappy inning. Um, but Kranz looked great, and Ginther had a save. So, I mean, it's it's exciting what a lot of these guys could provide, especially the weekend rotation. But, you know, it's it's got to come together, especially offensively. Sam, let, let's go a day before. Tuesday, Vanderbilt loses to Dayton 8-5. to I think you say it right. Vandy baseball is kind of like a Duke basketball, right? They're going to have a target on their backs in midweek form. Commodores are up, right? But then they allow seven runs in the eighth inning. Sawyer Hawks allowed a lot of runs, and McIlvain allowed a lot of runs. McIlvain, it was three runs, and Hawks, it was four. You know, when you do this, and I know there were a lot of errors. I know there was a pop fly that was missed. Henry and I were actually watching the game together. There was a pop fly that was missed, and there was a a throw over the the catcher at one point. You just really are seeing that the Commodores are just not in their rhythm. They're not in their groove. One midweek loss won't kill you, but you know Hawks and McIlvain really need to get get it going because if they don't, you're losing a potential weekend starter later in the year. Let's talk about Hawks. Corbin says after the game he was pressing. He's he's not used to this experience yet. He's a young kid. I think that's what you happen to see a lot. They're like overthinking why they got to Vanderbilt. They just got to be focusing on their fundamentals. Allowing seven runs to an okay Dayton team is just unacceptable. Yeah, and I completely agree. And I'm not going to put the blame on McIlvain. McIlvain came into the game. There was no outs. The bases were loaded. Sawyer Hawks got him into that situation. It's true. And so I'm not going to fault a young freshman for coming in in a really tough spot and maybe not pitching his best. But Sawyer Hawks is the Air Force transfer. He's had... Uh, you know, a year or two of experience playing playing baseball at the collegiate level, and and you just can't have that when you're up in a game five to one against Dayton. That's close it out time in the seventh inning. That's you know put this team away. And the fact that that Sawyer Hawks was able to, to give up that many runs was disappointing. And uh, I agree. And he is the junior. And so let me um, let me give the the flip side of that, which is Alex Kranzler and how well he's played. Yeah, he played in the Dayton game. Pitched uh, one, you know, one inning in and out, um, but was scoreless. But then he came back in against EKU. He was he came in for um, for Houston when Houston had a man on first and third and a three zero count. So I mean, he ended up throwing the walk. He threw one more ball and, and yeah. loaded the bases. But he got out of that inning scoreless. He got out of the inning and um, he played great. He, they took him out for for Ginther, but I thought he's a freshman. And he rose up like that. I think he's going to be a really valuable guy for their midweek games. We'll see how he continues to develop. But I thought he was a real bright spot in both of those games, back-to-back days. Yeah, and if you want to talk about pitching bright spots, as you said, Sam, Andrew Dukanich pitched so well yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Saw great stuff out of J.D. Thompson on Tuesday against Dayton, who, who pitched the first you know four innings or so. And uh, Devin Futrell was lights out against Sunday on Sunday against FAU. Um Carter Holton got kind of ripped apart on Friday, but he'll be back this weekend, and you know you expect a lot of out of him too. So I think this pitching staff is deep. They just saw a few setbacks this week, um, but I don't that ex- don't expect that to be a long term issue. 
Three and two, the Commodores will look to get to six and two when they play Gonzaga three times this weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. It'll be a really exciting series. Don't be surprised if the Commodores get their first sweep of the year. Stay tuned from The Hustler for all of our content. Let's go to anything but Vandy. Henry, you want to kick it off? Because I think me and Sam have a similar type of topic. Yeah, I can kick it off. Um, I want to talk today about Vanderbilt housing. Um, you two are not, you have no more housing to apply for your seniors. Um, but I'm a sophomore and I live in Branscombe right now and, and we just applied for housing. Luckily we were able to get a residential college double. We're picking in about an hour here, um, which is going to be good. Wait, what are the options? All the res colleges? You can live in any of them? You can live in any of them, wow. but they're just harder to get like the younger you are. I would pick are. Roth, no? Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing. You could also talk about that, right? Like which, which of them do you rank? I feel like Roth and Res College C, which will come next year, are the top two. But what do y'all think? Yeah, definitely not. I mean, for me, um, Kassam is just so far on the other side of campus. You're just near Wilson. That's Yeah. You're just near Wilson. And like, if you like DGX, that's (laughs) pretty close. Um, the Roth dining hall I've heard is great. I just have a lot of friends on Zep. At the end of the day, I'm not, I never actually was in the res college, uh, lottery, but all I know is that as much as you can get around other friends is best. So I will say I would put that over being it like, you know, if you're going to be in Zep, Roth, or um, what's the, what's the, what are they calling you on? Res College B? Res College C, but C? they haven't named oh. it yet. Okay. Well, if you're going to be in one of those, like ultimately I just go where there's the most friend, like I have the most friends, but uh, I think those are probably my, would be my front runners. Yeah. And, and you, <laughs> it's funny because they have the four person suites in all the residential colleges now, but no juniors get them. I think no. like zero juniors got them, which is a bummer because that's what we wanted to originally do. And, uh, but yeah, I'm looking forward to picking my res college double today. Rewind to April 2022. I was in a similar situation as you. Me and friends were looking. <laughs> we were playing off campus, and all we got was Highland. And we're like, let's try to get any possibility to get off campus. You don't want to be in Highland, I would say. Yeah. That's the one thing. Everything yeah. else is fine. I I, uh, I was going through the same process and was like, I want to get a res suite, and obviously got denied because yeah. you also, even if there is a junior who gets it, it's generally because they have squatters rights. So like, yeah, what does that mean? So it means if you like, instead of going to Branscombe, you just go to a res college, which sometimes you can like weasel in there. Uh, you can retain your sophomore, res college. Year. sophomore that's right. year. You yeah, can retain right. it um, for junior year. So basically all the juniors who get like a suite of some kind or like a place in res college are generally ones who have already been there. Um, so, so you I get was, penalized for living in Branscombe, the worst place to live. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Basically. So you're, yeah, that doesn't make much sense. Um, but. but I was going to get like a single on a hall with people in like uh, either Cole or what's the other one? I don't know if Tolman? the, oh, the bulb, Yeah, one Tolman, of those. Yeah. Um, and at the last moment, I was offered a Chafin. So I actually ended up Ooh. taking the Chafin, which is, which is near Highland. It's one of the, it's not the Mayfield, but it's like the four person suites. It's got two doubles with a kitchen and a living room. I went abroad, so I was just there for a semester. Great situation. Loved it. Yeah. Would recommend um, over like Tolman. I totally get wanting to be in a res college though, but it was so convenient right across the street from the gym, close by to my work at football. That's so. true. That's great. All right. What's what's your anything about Vanny, Wilf? So, so Sam and I were talking about before the, um, before the show, we're seniors. We're out of here in two and a half months, which is crazy. We were just talking. What, what are things that we want to do senior year? Like what's the thing that we really want to explore? You know, I'm still trying to figure it out. For, for, so I'm going to punt it to Sam first, and then I'll go. <laughs> let, let, we yeah. can have, make this like a discussion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A back thing. and forth well, sort of thing. Yeah. First of all, I've always uh, wanted to go to the top of Zep Tower 
uh, I hear Dear Mario has a layer there. And it's not, <laughs> not quite. He but has I, a pad. I would love to, yeah, just at least be there just to say that I've like went to the top uh, of, of the kind of iconic now building uh, you can track Vanderbilt on. And then the other thing I wanted to do, which has been ongoing and I want to continue that, is when I was abroad, I felt like I was exploring cities and going out. And when I came back to Nashville, I was like, I really haven't done it that much because I've been on Vanderbilt campus and I haven't really been going to a lot of restaurants and, and you know, bars and stuff like that now that I'm 21. Um, but I did that more and like went out in East Nashville on like a bar hop with like friends. And so like one place, for example, that everyone raves about is the Barcelona wine bar. I still need to go there. So that was a big like senior year thing I need to do. They have really good, uh, pa -pa -pa patatas bravas. <laughs> I, I could, I could, could be butchering, on the podcast. I could be butchering that. It's like the Spanish French fries. Yeah. I, I'm not, I won't try it either, but I don't know. Is that, what are you thinking? Will? yeah, I, I went to Barcelona twice. It was really, really cool. It's fun. Like. If your parents are in town or something like that, it's nice. Um, you know, I'm so bad when I'm eating off campus, usually like the Chipotle or Cava on 21st. Same, yep. So I'm like, I'm never trying something new. Um, I want to go to, you know, I've never been to Percy Priest. Oh, yeah. You gotta go to oh, you got to go to Percy Priest. Oh, you got to go to Percy Priest. You got to do that. Hiking, never whatever it. it is. Yeah. Hey, you got it. that in April. You can get that done. The weather will be nice. I'll do that. That's all you. I do Percy Warner sometimes, which is a hike on the other side, kind of toward Bell Mead, which is nice. Okay. But Percy Warner, never been. I never. I, I know people do pontoons. I've never I want to go it. pontoons again as well. I assume that happens in the spring. Yeah, it's fun in the fall. But yeah, yeah. I'd love to explore explore the nature. I, I there's another place like like right outside Nashville. It's like a natural garden that's been like preserved. I wish I could. Is it Bellmead? No, that's no, different. No right? Idea. That's different. I've got no idea. Okay. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, I've I don't know. You maybe some listeners are screaming behind there yelling at me to the, the name is obvious but either way there's like a big natural garden that i'd love to kind of visit outside the city too but yeah and i know i mentioned it before the show but one thing before you know i graduate in two years is i want to hit glow in the dark golf balls down wyatt lawn i envision it every day i'm walking down there i'm like i gotta hit a seven iron it's gonna be pure it's gonna get right down the middle Hopefully I don't shank one into a window Dude, and into Cohen Hall. This is going to be used as evidence in that very <laughs> yeah, student yeah. accountability yeah, meeting. Please, hopefully <laughs> no one from VUPD you, you think listening. it's 175 yards? Downhill? Yeah. I feel like that's the length of the lawn. It's definitely shorter. Maybe not. It's long enough, though. You could definitely, I don't know, I don't know golf well <laughs> enough to know how far, how much you're getting a hold of that, but you could definitely, you could <laughs> definitely get some kind of iron and uh, have it land on the lawn. I hope, like, Dear Meyer isn't listening right now, and he's like, all right, we got to lock that down, like send some VUPD officers at night. Yeah, like, yeah. Get, it, yeah. get that, man. To all <laughs> our loyal listeners, thank you so much, Sam. Thanks for coming on and chopping Always it up with us. Thank you. Till next time.